This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Succulent potatoes, succulent chicken infused with all that flavor with a a nice crispy skin on it. Your breath is on fire. Your belly's satiated. Everybody around you is happy. And once again, come on over the cookbook. Saves the world. One chicken breast at a time. Welcome to Homemade. I'm Marty Duncan. You know, author Pat Conroy once said that a recipe is a story that ends with a meal. My guest today is full of great stories about his family, their traditions, and his beloved Chicago, a city very dear to my own heart. He's not just a chef, but he's also a musician, a comedian, an author, and he is a fellow Food Network star alum. Any guesses? This should help you. He's known as the Sandwich King, and he comes into our homes each week on Food Network's The Kitchen. A lot of people just use American cheese or cheddar cheese. I think the trinity of cheeses for grilled cheese are this. You get provolone for stringiness, right? Because you get a nice cheese pull. American cheese for that kind of gooeyness, that processed meltitude we love. Mm -hmm. And then sharp cheddar for some sharpness and some funk. That's my buddy, Jeff Morrow. He's got a wonderful new cookbook called Come On Over, 111 Fantastic Recipes for the Family that Cooks, Eats, and Laughs Together. And after the year we've all had, this book is just so timely. I think all of us are ready to celebrate with family and friends again, whether it's for a backyard barbecue or at the breakfast table. In addition to his family recipes, you'll also find Jeff's version of some famous Windy City dishes that I miss and can't wait to make. I'm so excited to welcome the man himself, Jeff Morrow, to Homemade. Hi, Marty. Nice to be here. How are you? I'm doing great. It's fun to reconnect with you. You know, you're you're, you're an, uh, an esteemed alumnus of the Food Network <laughs> Star University, if you will. And I I don't even know. We might even had it harder than you. Because you were season, I was season seven. I was season eight. You were right after me. So I think they even loosened up a little bit. Like they gave you guys like books. We no, didn't no. have any of that. No, you didn't. Okay. No. Good to know. And I think ours might have been a little bit worse, Jeff, because we had teams that year. That's right. And it was the only year they did the teams. So everything that was taped had to be taped three times. And you can do absolutely nothing. No phone, no book, no music. How does music hurt? Yeah. No magazine. No nothing. phone calls home. No talking to each other even. Like, you couldn't even discuss if it was hot in the room. What they did was attempt to elicit the most dramatic response out of every <laughs> cast member. And that's how you do it. 
you know what? It, it, I guess it made great television. They had a formula and they were following it. So, so anyway, so I want to talk about this book and I'm just so in love with it already. Jeff's new book is called Come On Over 111 Fantastic Recipes for the Family that Cooks, Eats, and Laughs Together. I think that's brilliant. You know, I'm Marty with the party. So uh -huh. I'm all about gathering and getting together. Jeff, it, so you come from a family that spends time together around food. Oh, yeah. I mean, my mom has three siblings. Everybody had four kids and they all had four kids. You know what I mean? So it's like this right. big tight knit Italian American family. Then we all live in the same area still. Well, most, you know, most of us do. And we were just always surrounded by food at any occasion, no matter what big or small. And this book is not just about entertaining the masses no. or entertaining a dozen people. It's like, it's very scalable. Right. And it's about obviously our love of food and my connection. Not only is food is sustenance and something that's enjoyable to cook and eat, but also food is like a platform for entertain. It's a stage, you know, for me, I grew up on the stage playing music, comedy, all this stuff and cooking. This is like the perfect mesh of great recipes that are tried and true through my family, the new inventive ones that I've spun on my own and made fresh and new. It's a glimpse into my life through the stories in the head notes in each recipes. And I've told stories I've never told anybody that are in this book. I'm really, really proud of it. I wrote every word, every recipe, took two years, and I was elated to get it in my hand last week. I bet. And unboxed my first copy. And I think it's just really, it's a unique book. And I, and dare I say, Marty, Duncan, it's the funniest cookbook of all time. There, I said it. I think it's pretty funny. And I love the stories, knowing the backstory of things. It's just so interesting. I want to tell you right off the bat, I love that you start off with the ice rules. Come on. Because when I was on Food Network Star every day, I was like, could I have some ice? Could I have some ice? They're like, what's with this girl in the ice? I'm like, I just have to have the ice, okay? You got to have good ice. Like, don't make me go into your fridge or, God forbid, pull open the freezer drawer and use my hand where everybody else's hand went into that bucket full of cloudy, stanky, infused ice. Oh, clumps of ice. And then I'm going to make a, and I'm going to pour what? Good bourbon in there or make a, a beautiful tequila cocktail? No. So people neglect the ice. Get the good ice. You can have caviar out. You can have the most beautiful high-end spread with uh, burgundy and uh, all these imported liqueurs. And then you have a bucket of frosty, clumpy, <laughs> cloudy, stinky ice. I'm out. I'm, I'm cracking open a cold one. That's what I'm going to do. That's the truth. So pay attention. I have my ice rolls in there. In the real. And you should abide by I them. love it. I love it. Well, you are definitely a Windy City boy. When I got the book, I immediately, I kind of skimmed through some things. Then I immediately saw the chapter on Chicago and went straight there. Because, <laughs> I mean, Chicago is my second city. I have always loved it. I lived there for over 10 years. And I still have a 312 area code for a reason. Good for you. I love Chicago. But I couldn't wait to see what you went for. And I found all my favorite things there. I was so excited. That garbage salad, is that the one from Gibson's? I used to get that at least two or three yeah. times a week on my way home from work. It's I got everything. order in it. it and stop by there. Tell me a little bit about, so you've got all parts of your life in this book. You've got your sandwich king roots because mm -hmm. you've got plenty of sandwiches. You've got stuff for the kids. 
you've got stuff that obviously has the Italian roots to it. And then you've got this whole Chicago section. So let's talk about that a little bit. So we're very passionate, right? I do have a Chicago hot dog in there with hand cut fries. Very traditional depression style hot dog that you'd find at Gene and Jude's, the place I grew up eating. You know, I give you the tools and the guidance to make it at home without standing in line. I got a very tried and true Lou Malnati clone recipe for a deep dish pizza. It took me so long and I figured it out and I made 40 pizzas and I believe it's perfect. I got a tavern style thin crust. I'll be making it tonight. A great chicken Vesuvio, which is a classic Italian pizza joint steakhouse preparation of chicken infused with lemon and garlic and tons of white wine and a crispy kind of crust from all these dry Italian herbs. I got a great version, you know, where the potatoes, the wedges of potatoes soak in all that schmaltz in wine. It's just unbelievable where like the potato becomes its own meat. When I lived in Chicago, I hung around a bunch of cubs. I had a little radio gig in Chicago and I had was friends with some cubs. So I occasionally get invited to go to these team dinner things at Harry Carey's. And I had never had or heard of chicken Vesuvio, but everybody around the table was ordering chicken Vesuvio. And so the guy I was sitting beside a very famous cup who shall remain nameless. I turned to him and I said, I don't know what it is. And he said, oh, it's garlicky. He said, I'm eating it. You're probably going to need to eat it too. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I ordered the chicken Vesuvio and fell in love with it. So it is a very garlicky chicken dish. And like you said, your recipe has those potatoes underneath where it catches all the chicken juices as they cook down. Can you walk us through that recipe really quick? That one's got a place in my heart. So what I love about great chicken Vesuvios, and there's a lot of meat mediocre ones out there, the saturated potatoes, right? That cook amongst all that wine and garlic and lemon and chicken. So I love the saturated wedges of potatoes, but I also love a crispy skin that is coated in dried Italian herbs. So you get like this crispy skin combined with what I like to call a Chicago Italian rub, barbecue rub, right? So you just get the tactile crunch from it. And when you bake it all together, the potatoes catch all those drippings. So you get the best of both worlds. You get perfectly cooked chicken that is elevated on those wedges of potatoes. So you get 360 even cooking, right? You're not really braising the chicken. You're just making a perfectly roasted tempt chicken. And then the wedges of the potatoes benefit from everything because they turn into like their own soft succulent chicken flavored potatoes. And you got the crispy skin. So you got the best of both worlds. Succulent potatoes, succulent chicken infused with all that flavor with a, a nice crispy skin on it. Oh yeah. We're having that. You dunk some crispy bread in that. Oh, come on. And then I have the fresh peas in there and you finish it with some fresh lemon juice, some lemon zest. And then you take all those peas and all that au jus, that's all those pan drippings and just ladle it all over the chicken when you're done. So you get you get everything. Oh, that's it, chef. That's it. Your breath is on fire. Your belly's satiated. Everybody around you is happy. And once again, come on over. The cookbook saves the world. That's all I'm trying to do. One chicken breast at a time. (laughs) So another thing I love about the book is all those family pictures that you have in there. And you came from a family that got together over food all the time. Is there one recipe that you can call out that is a family favorite? Like it's a Morrow tradition. This is our one thing. We're having this. If we don't have that, you can't come over. What is it? It's so funny. It's it's turned into my recipe, which I made on the first episode of the first season of Sandwich King. And it's my Italian beef pot roast style that my aunts make it. My mom makes it. I make it for like all the parties because it's 
it's the perfect amalgamation of classic beef stand, Italian beef sandwich mixed with a pot roast. Now, if everybody out there listening has never had a Chicago style Italian beef, it's like shaved beef. You steep it in juice, you pack it in a nice, hearty, chewy roll, and you top it with sweet peppers and hot jardinera, and you wrap it up and you eat it. And it's messy and it's delicious. But if you don't have a meat slicer at home, you're never going to like cook a whole chuck. You're not going to get that. You're not going to get it. So how do you mimic that flavor? Not only that flavor, but also that mouthfeel and that texture right. and that just supple chew of it. You braise it low and slow, a whole big chuck roast. What a great idea. And I'm telling you, it's perfect. And we made it yesterday and I had it for lunch and dinner, Marty. I would have and it. And that's because it's it works. It's that good. And when I lived in Chicago, I worked a block from Mr. Beef on Orleans. Oh, there you go. So I lived yep. in there. My picture is not on the wall, but it should be for the person who ate the most you know, Chicago style beef. And you still, you're still holding the record internally. Heard, yeah, I exactly. I got the crown. So there's a way you eat them. They're either dry or wet. Mm -hmm. People probably don't know that, right? The bread is dry or wet. So you, the, when you order it, they say, just like in the South. You want it dry or you want it dipped. Some beef stands, the one I grew up going to is probably the, the most famous one, Johnny's Beef in Elmwood Park where, you know, my last house, I lived two blocks from it very conveniently. And you get the beef and you get it either sweet and hot, right. or just sweet or just hot or plain. And then you get it dry or dipped or dry or juicy or extra <sighs> juicy. And that's the thing. Now I sell it. Tell me, do you know this morning? I got to send you some of my prime Italian beef, Marl Provisions. I saw that. The Marl Provisions. Yes. I make the first ever Kraft Jardinera. We have four different varieties, hot, medium, mild, and now Honey G coming out, a honey agave infused hot jardinera. Oh, we have my first ever, you can't find it anywhere, prime, USDA prime Italian beef. Melts in your mouth and I give you the jardinera, the beef, the gravy as we call it, or the au jus, laden with all that beautiful beef fat and it's just silky. My instructions are like perfect, right? Because it's like, you don't want to steep it all. You just want to steep it two minutes because it's so marbly and you get two pounds of beef. It's enough to feed, I swear to God, eight people. And you get the Toronto rolls with it. You can't get anywhere else. We ship nationwide and you get a jar of medium jardinera. Nice. You get eight jumbo links or like a quarter pound. They're huge. And it's made by the Bomprezi family who grew up on the same block is my mom and my grandparents who now I'm partnered with the son of the father where we grew up getting from the small butcher meat packer. So I've only used all fourth generation Chicago families to make my peppers, to make my beef, to make my bread, the Toronto family. Everybody's like family and it, it shows through this. And I'm really, really proud of it. So if you buy the cookbook, you can make the beef at home and then get all your bread and your sausage and all your accoutrement from Marl Provisions. Yeah. We, we got all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, you need the bread. If you don't have the right bread, it's not the same. So you got to have that Chicago bread. Because you need that chew. You need that protein content in the bread where it does soak up all that gravy, all that juice. And if you do get it juicy, it doesn't fall apart. It just like saturates and becomes this thing. It's so good. You're listening to Homemade. Stay tuned as Jeff and I talk about his son's love of cooking, how his wife's family actually introduced him to a proper Southern breakfast, and how he won the prestigious South Beach Food and Wine Burger Bash. We'll be right back after the break. Mm -hmm. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Marty Duncan, and my guest today is the winner of Season 7 of Food Network Star, the Sandwich King himself, Jeff Morrow. Well, so, Jeff, during the pandemic, you and the kitchen have been kind of, I don't know, a little island in the storm. And I think that your cooking videos with Lorenzo were particularly well-received and like the hit of the pandemic. Did that just happen naturally because he happened to be home or it's something he wants to do? Or how did that come about? I don't know. We're just, you know, it's like, how do we make the most of this time? We have to eat anyway. We have a fan base. He likes doing it. If he's like, I don't feel like it. I'm not gonna be like, get up there. You know, I'm not gonna like football dad him and like make him run, you know, wind sprints. But it's something that he naturally, genetically maybe gravitates towards. Yes. Well, what's his favorite dish to make? Is that the grilled cheese that I saw? Oh, the grilled cheese burgers. Cutest picture of him in the cookbook with that grilled cheese, by the way. And I really couldn't tell if that was you or him at first. I mean, he is the spitting image of you now that he's getting older. If he's hungry, he's making his own lunch. Like, uh, uh, he loves mortadella. And I talk about that in the book. And we have one of his favorite, this mortadella melt with fig spread. And anything on the griddle with a sandwich that he can flip. And he loves doming things, right? Oh, like yes. we have a dome and we likes putting a little water, creating the steam vortex and then doming it. You know, he's very into that because it's, it's basically playing with fire. You know what I mean? Without any fire, it sizzles, it steams and he gets very excited. So, you know, he's, but he's responsible about it. Well, I mean, he gets a, a little bit of an elevated cooking lesson every day, I'm sure, too, more than most 12-year-old or 13-year-old kids would get. I only use a dome when I want to melt some cheese on something. That's about it. But that's true, you know, but if you have a closed sandwich or a grilled cheese or a melt or anything, even a couple burger patties with American cheese on them or whatever, you dome it and you just give a little steam and boom, you, you know, expedite the process without overcooking the undercarriage, as I like to say. So your inspiration for the book, you just, these are recipes you just wanted to get down, things that were important. And hey, not to just your family, but to Sarah's family too, your wife, Sarah, I, I noticed that. There were some biscuits in there. I went, what does a Chicago oh, biscuits, boy gravy, know about yep. some biscuits? And I'm like, oh, no, that's not possible. But your wife's mother is a biscuit maker. And y'all would go out and party when y'all were first getting together. And y'all would go to her mother's house for breakfast on Saturday mornings. And she'd have biscuits and gravy. Tell a little bit about that story. My wife, Sarah, was born and raised in the city proper of Chicago. You know, she's a city girl through and through. But her parents are from Eastern Kentucky. My mother-in-law is from Grapevine, a small holler, one of six, 17 children, a coal burning stove. I mean, as Appalachian as you can get, never will you meet a more bonafide, authentic Appalachian family than the Ross clan, right? They know about it. Ask them about in Grapevine. You know, they're notorious, right? One of those families. And I didn't have any frame of reference for this culture. Right? I, right. I, I knew Irish guys. I knew Polish guys. I knew plenty of Italian people, everything from all walks of life, but Southern deep Southern like this, 
I fell in love immediately because we were, you know, quote unquote, sleeping in separate bedrooms at, you know, her, my, at her folks house or my house. And you better have been. And they were, you know, they were a little looser, I think. But man, we'd wake up at 8 a.m. and we'd smell the biscuits baking and the pork chops frying, sausage patties, honey, local honey, good butter from the Amish in Wisconsin that they go when they go hunting, they bring back good butter and good maple syrup. It was like the best breakfast foods, the most hearty thing to nurse a, a, a 4 a.m. evening right. the night before in our early 20s. And, you know, obviously I fell in love with my wife. It had nothing to do with the food, but it was a nice consulate, you know, it was, yeah, a, it was a nice perk. I bet. And I learned from her, you know, and she's great. You know, same skillet that her grandma used, passed down and passed down. It's all about the flour for her. The you know, either get the Hudson cream or the white lily flour. True. That really does make a difference. So they like, you know, import that from Kentucky whenever they can. Well, I have to say my favorite picture in the book outside of the family pictures was that big plate of fried pork chops. My mother used to do those too. I mean, where was this my whole life, mom? I'm like, what? I mean, we, we were very chubby. We didn't need any additional fried pig meat. But man, when I saw it on a plate, I was like, is this for dinner later or can I eat this now? She's like, no, you know, this is for bread. And I'm like, so I could pour gravy on this as well yes. as the bacon and the pork sausage to make the pork, you know, the gravy. The gravy with. I'm yep. telling you, how did I make it out? <laughs> I'm hungry. Speaking of <laughs> pork, I was lucky enough to have a, I don't remember if it was at South Beach or whatever, but you did that pork candy or bacon candy. Oh yeah, pig candy from back in the day. That was amazing. What is it? Pig candy. It's just candied bacon. How do you make it? It's easy. It's all in the technique. Good coating on cold bacon. You could spray it a little bit with some good thick like turbinado or demerara sugar. And you put it on a well-sprayed rack and you just do it at the perfect temp, low and slow until it renders while crisping and caramelizing without burning the sugars. It really is. It's like a perfect storm and it takes practice because each oven is different. Each cut of bacon, but you don't want too thick bacon and you certainly don't want too thin bacon. So you got to find that Goldilocks zone of bacon. Uh, <laughs> but when you get it right, I mean, there's nothing. Oh, it was so good. More dangerous. I remember to this day, that was the best. I remember I was at South Beach one time when you won the Burger Bash, too, oh. which was a very big deal. Huge. I mean, big deal. Tell us about like that tradition. And I, I hear South Beach is coming back in May. I hope it does. It does. It, it is coming I'm back. Missing I'm... all these food festivals. I'm missing. I you know. know, I love to do those things. And to me, for us, it's the best way to get in front of the real public and see and talk and hear what people have to say and get feedback in person. I love those things. Yeah. I actually, I actually have a story in and come on over about my patty melt, the recipe for the patty melt, the great story about winning that burger bash, which is not, it's a pretty coveted title and it's very competitive. Very, no, not kind of very. And everybody's in it. Everybody. Everybody's in it and everybody wants to win. This is yeah. not like, I don't, I'm going to get drunk and not care about it. No, you like, you want to perform well. Yeah. Rachel Ray hosts it. And just to get even invited to be in the tent, I mean, to even get to walk in there is a big deal, yep. much less to get to cook. So you're cooking against people like Michael Simon yeah, and Morimoto and, 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 and Guy and everybody. I got a great picture of us in there. I'm going to send it to you. You're holding up the trophy. Oh I'll my God. That was yeah. so much fun. I mean, it really was a great moment because I won the judges. Yes. You know, people's choices kind of of a popularity contest. You need to be like the big dog. And I was still the little dog. It was, I think it was my first or second year in the family, if you will. And I had my family there helping me out. My brother, Frank, my sister-in-law, Kelly, my wife, Sarah, my cousin, Tommy, my cousin, Susie. And that was like my Your crew. esteemed culinary crew. And we're making patty melts, which was controversial because it's patty melt a burger. I think it is. And my brother kind of turned to me 
And he goes, I think we need to double the cheese. I go, what? Early on, he goes, I don't know, man. I say, I have this feeling. I tried it. I go, we got it. We got to do four slices of white American instead of two. I go, boom, let's do it. And we're churning and burning. You're doing thousands of these things, right? Thousands. Boom, boom, boom. Patty melts, griddling, flipping, rye, rye, building, boom, boom, out, out. And then I'm getting feedback. People are like, the judges want more. Wow. You know, judges want more. I'm like, oh my God, the judges want more. And I'm hitting them. And then comes down to the big moment, right? Fingers crossed. Judges winner. They announced my name. And I remember Ann Burrell telling me that night, she she goes, you know why you won? I go, why? She goes, it was the perfect amount of white American cheese. How about that? I go, brother Frank, this is your trophy too. Yeah. Yeah, Frank, thanks. That is amazing. But it was just such a real moment. And that just kind of was like, you know what? I could do this. I can hire people. I can be that a big shot. I don't know. Or I can just use my family. And that's kind of the model I followed since then in my career, you know? Well, you can tell from the book. And I love where I come from. But I lived in Chicago for a good 10, 12 years. And it has a giant piece of my heart. And I can see why. And it is a family town. You know, when I moved there, I was so shocked by that. And it's a big city, but it is a town. You go to a place with somebody like you, you're going to know everybody in the place, just like you would down here in South where I'm from. You will go into a restaurant or it can be a store or whatever it is. And it's down home. Yeah. It's a city of neighborhoods. And we pride ourselves on, you know, owning that title. When you say it's a town, it is, it's a city of neighborhoods. People are very passionate about what neighborhood they're from. They, it's the first they are. question people ask you that are from Chicago. What neighborhood are you from? Like right. not when they ask you where you're from, people go, I'm Chicago. You know, like, no, that's not what I mean. Like what streets, what neighborhood are you from? Taylor and Miller. I'm from the old neighborhood. I'm from Grand and Western. It doesn't matter. It's like right. your village. And I do this podcast every week with my little sister that we're like 50 episodes into. It's called Come On Over, same title as the book. Yeah, I love that. And it's just family. Like, it's probably easier not to have guests on because we get to do all the talking. But, you know, <laughs> but literally, the only guest we have on is my family and we tell the stories and I write songs each episode. It's very well produced. It's me and her. I think it's really, really great. I'm really proud of it. And it's growing every week. All right. So I want to know if you could invite three guests to a party to come on over at your house. Who's it going to be? I would invite, I would invite Sebastian Maniscalco, who's a comedian. He wrote the forward for your book, right? He wrote the forward to my book and, and, and we're friendly. Like, listen, I'm not going to be like, I mean, the guy like go bowling together, but I would love to get to know him more because I think he's the funniest mind. We're cut from the same cloth. So he would definitely get an invite. Jeff Tweedy, who's the lead singer of Wilco, yeah. one of my favorite bands, is a very funny person, a very, you know, stage banter real funny guy and obviously talented musician. So then maybe we can jam later. And of course, ulterior motives with that. Who would the third one be? Killer Mike from Run the Jewels. I know it's an odd one, but he's really one of my favorite hip hop artists. And he's got a great message and he's an interesting fella. And I think he's funny too. I like funny people, obviously, but this is the problem. Maybe I'll scratch Sebastian because he's probably funnier than me. I always want to be the funniest person in a room. (laughs) (laughs) I might have to boot him. So what is one other thing you want to tell us about the book before we wrap it up? What is one thing, one takeaway you want everybody to know about the book? Uh, You know what? I worked really, really hard on it. It's obvious. I enjoyed writing it and I wanted to make it great. And I believe we got there. And if the writing is one thing, I think it's special to, to, to look a glimpse into my life, a little secret glimpse. That's not any secret anymore. Right. It's out there, chef. And it's useful and you're going to use it, whether you're having small gatherings now, no gatherings or 
big gatherings. You know, we're coming out of this. And I think it's perfectly timed when people are comfortable with having people in their backyard now. Right. Maybe not renting catering halls, but baby steps. And this is the perfect book to guide you through the evolution coming out of this pandemic. And it couldn't have been better time. I couldn't have a better publisher. I couldn't have had a better photographer, a better culinary lead. We did it. We hunkered down the week before the entire world was shut down. Before we knew what this thing was. What was going to happen, yeah. We rented an Airbnb and we shot this book, 111 recipes. Wow. Within six days. And I swear to God, the seventh day when my photographer and Tim Macklin, who's the culinary producer on the kitchen, worked on the book. When they flew back to New York, they didn't know they were going home because that was the stay-at-home orders begun that day. So we like, the gravity was there. It was palpable and it comes through in the book. It's a celebration of life. You know, this book was important to us because we just put so much energy into it during this week. We were right. oblivious. My wife's shopping for onions and shallots and carrots and all these things while people are hoarding paper towels and toilet paper right. and masks. So it, it is real time, you know, and you'll get that great recipes and stories, obviously beautiful. Well, I do think it, the timing is right for it because even if we just gather with those people who are special to us that we haven't been able to see, they're now vaccinated and it's safe for them to be around like the grandparents and, and the older people that we have had to really stay away from and distance from. I think it would be wonderful to go through the book and pick out some things, one or two things that are easy for you to do and have some people over, right? Come on over. Come on over. That's it. That's the life. That's the credo now I live by. All right. So Jeff Morrow, our favorite sandwich king, host of The Kitchen and all-around great Chicago guy. Thank you so much for being with us here on Homemade. We have loved every minute of it, Jeff. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time, guys. Thank you all. Jeff's new book is called Come On Over, 111 Fantastic Recipes for the Family that Cooks, Eats, and Laughs Together. It's available in stores online or from comeonover.com, where you can also hear Jeff's podcast. Plus, you can get more information on Morrow Provisions, his mail order service at morrowprovisions.com. Jeff's newest show, Kitchen Crash, is airing right now on Food Network. Coming up, I am so excited to welcome the hilarious and multi-talented Leslie Jordan to Homemade. Happiness is a habit. Happiness is a choice. And happiness is something you work for. People think, oh, well, I just want to be happy. I think the better word is content. You know, happy, what is happy? And nobody's going to be happy all the time. But, you know, to reach a point at 65 years of age where I'm perfectly comfortable with who I am, what I am, and the rest here on out is just gravy. You probably know Leslie best from his Emmy Award-winning role as Beverly Leslie on Will and Grace. His new show out now on Fox is Call Me Cat with Maya Bialik. During the pandemic, he won the internet with his charming Hey There, Fella Hunk of Downers videos. Now with millions of new followers, Leslie's got a book and a gospel album of favorite hymns coming out. And we talk about all of it, including his favorite Southern dishes he still loves to make in his Hollywood kitchen. Subscribe to Homemade so you don't miss it. And if you would, please rate the podcast and leave us a review. I'd really appreciate it. 
And don't forget, you can find thousands of recipes, meal ideas, and cooking how-tos from the world's largest community of cooks at allrecipes.com. This podcast was recorded in Birmingham, edited in Atlanta, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Homemade is produced by All Recipes with digital content director, Jason Burnett. Thanks to our Pod People production team, Rachel King, Matt Saab, Daniel Roth, Jim Hankey, Maya Croft, and Erica Wong. I'm Marty Duncan, and this is Homemade.